Welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. And Byron, again, we have a lot of stuff to get to. We're just a few weeks away from the uh, next presidential election. But before we get into all that information, tell the listeners what we do, how we do, and why we do it. We basically here, we uh, bring you news and politics, uh, things that are important, also things that don't get covered as much. Something that uh, someone brought to my attention is we also talk about other things outside of politics, whether it's uh, social issues as well. So we're not just 100 percent political. We try to have something for everybody. Before we get into those type of topics, Frank, uh, you and most people that know me know I'm a huge Miami Heat fan. I know you spent time in Miami. You went to the university down there. Sad week for the Heat last week. It was like the official end of the big three. Two years ago, LeBron left this past offseason. Dwayne Wade left. Now Chris Bosh, it seems like his career is over. At the very least, it's over in Miami. And my question to you, man, is there's always been this myth of Pat Riley on how he put things together and how he gets deals done. I'm wondering, is there's a sort of a, a false myth around him? Because if you look at how things ended, like Dwayne Wade did not leave that team happy. LeBron James, he felt he felt there were some issues with him before he left. And even with Chris Bosh, people that don't follow the Heat may not notice, but this was kind of getting ugly behind the scenes as he wanted to come back during the Heat's playoff run last year, and they wouldn't let him. And he didn't trust the Heat. The, the Heat doctors were telling him he couldn't play. He went out and sought his own doctor because he just did not trust his organization. He felt like they were trying to ease him out the door to get him off the books so they can sign a bigger free agent. So I'm just wondering if you had any thoughts. On, I know you follow basketball. Is is I mean, do you believe that there's some type of myth around Pat Riley as far as is he overhyped or are these just three disgruntled players? I mean, I think Pat Riley is a as far as his resume, he is a legend. He's a, obviously a Hall of Fame uh, coach and general manager. But I will give you this. There is a certain mythos to the big three. The initial formation was because of. Uh, Dwayne Wade and his friendship with LeBron James what got LeBron to go to Miami because uh, LeBron for a lot of people that didn't know did not necessarily want to leave Cleveland he would have preferred that the big three come to Cleveland or you know one of the big three even come to Cleveland but it was no dice there they all had to go to Miami and Wade was one of the main guys behind that uh, another thing regarding you know Riley and LeBron, obviously there was a little bit of a power struggle because LeBron has his own designs on power and he likes to kind of tinker with things that Riley doesn't give him the power to do. I guess at the end of the day, the big three was uh, some obviously some part have to do with Pat Riley, but it's not as much. Uh, he's not as much a huge factor as you would think, but at the same time, it's part of his legend. And so going back to just him coming to Miami and he built up a winner uh, there. He had got Shaq in there before and done some things. So he deserves the credit he, he, he has gotten. But, you know, when when the big, you know, big three special on 30 for 30 comes out, it can be maybe explained a little bit more about how exactly he was put together and, and give Riley his, you know, credit and also give Dwayne Wade his credit because he was a huge part of the formation of the big three as well. I think that was incredibly accurate. And for the record, I would love to do that 30 for 30. I, that is something I seriously would like to do if I can just meet the right people to do it. Uh, with that said, let's get into some politics.
You are listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now your host, Frank I want to thank Frank you for tuning in to another Byron. episode of Politically Entertaining. I want to remind everyone you can subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean. Also, you can go to Google Play, download podcasts, and download our show, Politically Entertaining, for the great price of free. Costs you nothing. We give you each episode every week or whenever me and Frank can get to it. We have the ladies on the wind down joining us today later on. Also, we'll give you an update. I guess you can call it a final update on that 9-11 bill that we've told you about. And we'll talk about the hypocrisy of Governor Chris Christie. Before we get into that, Frank, I know you and the uh, the ladies of the wind down, you guys are going to discuss some of the things that went on in the debate. Uh, I was not able to do the interview, but I did want to give you my quick takes on it. Uh, what I pulled from it, man, one was Trump said that jobs are going to Mexico. I was not aware of that. But, you know, he speaks so fast and off the cuff so much. I don't know if that was a mistake or if he meant to say that. But you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But I, I was not aware that jobs were going to Mexico. He always says how Mexicans are coming here to get jobs. So I thought that was odd. Hillary didn't capitalize on it, though. But the two biggest things that I felt like opportunities that she missed on, one, when he charged her with the whole super predator comment, which, you know, in my opinion, black people, we got to get over that. I mean, there are much bigger things that you can be mad at Hillary for than that comment. She could have hit him back with the whole Central Park Five thing. Like he said some very derogatory things about those men that wound up being innocent, proven innocent and old money from the city. He took out an article in the newspaper, like pretty much trashing these young men. They were like teenagers at the time. I feel like she could have hit him back with that. And also he he loves to hit her with she's been in public office for like 30 years. She needs to start stating the fact that she's actually been an elected official only six years. When she was secretary of state, that's not an elected post that was appointed by the president. Other than that, she's been like a first lady. She gets all the blame for all the bad things of the Clinton presidency and none of the credit. So she really needs to separate herself from her husband work and his his job as president and, and really say that, hey, I've only I've only been in elected office for six years. And she can also hit him with he's been sticking people for 30 years. Uh, she brought up how someone did work in one of his properties and he didn't pay him. And he has a long track record that you look at Trump University. There are a lot of things to hit him on. So every time he brings up her 30 years of bad experience, as he put it, she needs to hit him back. And I felt like she could have hit him a little harder on some of those things. Again, I know you gave your takes. Uh, the audience will hear your takes a little later on. But was there anything that stuck out that you may not have mentioned in the interview uh, coming up on the show? Uh, only, only the fact that I, I probably would have said that she actually, by not going after him and going down his level, I think it was just fine. I, I, I do agree she could have hit him on some things, but he's such, how would you say, like you, you used a term off the cuff speaker, that it's so hard to pin him down. You'd be trying to pin him down the whole debate of because everything he says is pretty much just some you know false saying or just some uh you know uh, ab aborted platitude he just he just speaks just so j much gibberish it's hard um <laughs> it, there, there's a saying in in proverbs never to argue with a fool right and so i think that she did take that high ground to that 
but but like you said, there could be definitely ish areas where she will maybe try to pinpoint on a little closer. But getting down to his level is not what's going to win her the presidency. Uh, like you said, she's got to separate herself and make herself seem uh, more likable, uh, whatever, however, whatever that means. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how many people really like people they never, ever meet. But there's this idea that we, we're supposed to like somebody based on what we see on TV. So I guess she's not a good enough actress. So maybe she can take some acting lessons or something. I don't know. It's it's just some of the stuff is just crazy. She did do a good job of sticking bait out there. This guy was up till woke up at like, I guess, four in the morning tweeting about that uh, pageant, the former pageant girl that he wound up calling, I guess, a, a fat pig. Yeah, Alicia, Alicia Machado. <laughs> yeah. And that Alicia Machado, that was actually a very that was actually pretty good. I mean, if she if there's a lot of things she didn't do. The one thing she did do was to go after and show that his disdain for you know his Hispanic yeah. woman. She baited him. And uh, he took it and and pretty much he's he's exposed and he even doubled down on some of his comments and basically said that she yeah, she got fat. She was disgusting. I mean, the guy is has no no um he has no moral compass, obviously, no scruples by anything he says and it's just amazing. He, you know, he's he's unraveling. But the thing is, his numbers in the polls aren't right. necessarily tanking. His because, voters aren't going anywhere. Because this is something that you know I did say, and I'll just say it again. He just has a very high floor there. He's not necessarily going to get seventy percent approval or anything like that. But the people that are with him, they're with him. It doesn't matter what he does, what he says. He doesn't have to state any facts. He's just Trump. He's just a he's a personality. He's like. You just mentioned the big three, and I know we, you know, you you like Dwayne Wade, and, and I, I I probably would prefer LeBron James, but they're just personalities. They're like you just root for a guy based on some things. You don't really know the guy. You just like certain things about him, like his style, and that's kind of what people do for Trump. It's like they don't really care about his story, his fact. They just say, oh, he's Trump. Yeah, you know, cool. He would he'll tell you that milk isn't white. I mean, like you say, he he just says whatever. Uh, we we did mention. Miami sports briefly at the top of the show. As you know, last week, uh, a young pitcher by the name of Jose Fernandez was killed in a boat accident in Miami. He played for the Miami Marlins. I don't watch much baseball, but I do know he was like a young phenom. He was only 24 years old and people were like already calling him the next big thing. And he and two other friends were in a boating accident. I think they crashed into some rocks. All three died. And I got a, uh, a very interesting question for you on this one, Frank, because what we know is that he he got in an argument with his girlfriend. He invited his teammates to go out. They declined. So that's when he asked his two friends to go. They went out drinking and partying, 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 can't talk. And uh, they wound up crashing the boat. I think as of now, it's unknown who was actually driving the boat. But I want to bring this to your attention and ask you this. If Jose Fernandez was the one that was driving the boat, uh, We've heard all these great things about him, as we should. He seemed like a great young man. He definitely was great at his craft. We've heard all these great things about him. But if he was the one that was driving, the families of those other two guys that were killed, they're more than likely are going to want some compensation for that. My, my question to you is, are we headed for a clash where you're going to have, you know, people in the sports world? pushing back even if it's the facts like even if the if it's the facts they want to remember him in a great light will we have a, a clash between what the what the family wants and what and how sports people in sports media want to remember this young man 
I, I think it's certainly possible. I think the tough thing is once I think it's possible and I'm not I'm not a big on you can have your cake and eat it, too. But I do think that what he brought to the baseball diamond and, and the you know, obviously him being such a young pitcher and the things he, he did that can be remembered for what it is. He could have just had one bad night where we've all had been upset our significant other and maybe or maybe we haven't left the house. It just depends. <laughs> you know, some of us don't have a boat to go jump in. You know, if I'm upset with my wife, I may just go downstairs <laughs> and that kind of thing. But exactly. I mean, I don't have that. But I'm saying if I if I did have the means to, you know, go jump in a boat, maybe I would. And, you know, maybe I would have a little too much drinking and speed and hit a rock. And then, you know, all is all is bad. So I think from that standpoint, um, he's a young man and, and he could have just had a bad night. And he could have been blowing some steam, and then he ended up having an accident. And if if the parents does, I mean, if, excuse me, if the parents or the family of the vic, other victims decide to go after um, him, you know, I think that's their choice, it's their right. Um, I don't know what I would do if I was in that situation. That's just a really difficult decision. But I don't think it tarnishes who he is because it's not like he was a chronic. Uh, you know, boat driver where he had a lot of boating accidents. I mean, he just happened to, um, you know, have an accident and, and have a bad night that night. So I don't think the narrative on him is going to change as far as who he was as a player and in who, even who he was as a person. I don't think he uh, it's not like the whole O.J. Simpson thing. And that's, you know, interesting that you say that because O.J. Simpson is a guy who I think really obviously took a hit. And we don't even remember him talking about what he did as a football player. But I think whatever comes out about her, Jose, um, Hernandez will will always be he was a great pitcher and he was a young kid and he had a bad night and it ended up costing him his life but I don't ever think it will come down to uh you know what has happened with Sam say someone like OJ where his whole uh reputation has just overshadowed what he even was as a player and anything he did OJ Simpson was a heck of a football player but I don't think anybody remembers that yeah just it's an incredibly uh sad story even if you don't follow baseball you know, I invite you all to, you know, check that story out. He he was definitely an, a rising star within the sport. Uh, again, I want to remind you all, we have the ladies of the wind down joining us in a few minutes. Uh, Aunt B, she is a huge Auburn fanatic. And we have EP. Uh, it's an episode of first. This will be Aunt B's first appearance on the show. Also, it'll be the first time that we've interviewed two people at once on the show. Erica was also our first ever guess in politically entertaining history will always be grateful for that so invite you to stick around for that before we get to those ladies though real quick chris christie governor christie of new jersey he ran for the most recent uh presidential election uh he was on the short list to be trump's vp uh nominee if you remember three years ago he was in a bit of a scandal called bridgegate and for those of you that may not know, it's uh, the George Washington Bridge. There were lane closures on this bridge and it affected nearby Fort Lee. The mayor of Fort Lee apparently did not endorse Governor Christie for his reelection bid. And so as a punishment, these lanes were closed and it like it clogged up traffic for days because they, they had these lanes closed for days. And it really affected like local economy and it really affected you know the traffic in the city. He denied it. He came out and uh, he denied it. He said he had no knowledge of it. But someone has already testified and said that he did. And not only did he know, he they cited a specific time that 
they told him about it at a 9-11 event uh, that following year. There's a photograph of them laughing and talking about it. So uh, the government is going to have to prove right now. Christie hasn't been charged or anything. But here's my bigger question to you. If he is guilty, Frank, how on, on the ladder on the ladder of hypocrisy, how hypocritical is he? Because I don't think it's as hypocritical as Newt Gingrich going after Bill Clinton for having an affair on his wife as he was having one while his wife was in the hospital. Uh, but then you have uh, Ted Haggard, who, you know, did all these preachings and sermons about gay behavior and homosexuality when it turned out that he himself was a homosexual. Uh, and then you also have not many people know about this guy because he's not that well known. But Congressman Scott DeJarlis of Tennessee, very big, big pro-life guy, like huge pro-life guy, pro-life guy. But he had his ex-wife. And his ex-mistress both have abortions because he didn't want it to get out. So that's that's, you know, Congress for you at times. But I just wanted to get your opinion on where on the ladder of hypocrisy is Christie, because some people don't look at Bridgegate as a huge deal. But for him to go after Clinton like he did when he was running for president on how she's guilty of uh, the whole email scandal and Benghazi and all that, like that was his big stump speech on how scandalous and how criminal Clinton was. And here he is possibly involved in something similar. So I just wanted to know what, where did you rank his uh, hypocrisy on this one? It's up there. Uh, it's, it's maybe not at the level of, you said Ted Haggard with the, you know, obviously you're preaching against gays and you are gay or, right. or, or you know, pro-life and then you're getting an abortion. But the problem with, I think that, which you, I don't want to go off of Chris Christie for a second, but the reason Chris Christie's hypocrisy is the reason why Donald Trump is so popular right now is because I think you can look at any politician and find some huge hypocrisy that they've done, something that sticks out very badly. And Trump is is basically gain using that against everybody. He used it all throughout the Republican primaries to basically say, hey, look at all these other guys. They've been in office and they do all you know, they, they say, do as I say, not as I do. And so, you know, Chris Christie is a guy who, in my opinion, lost actually a lot of traction to Donald Trump because we talked about this on other shows is, you know, Chris Christie was a guy who told it like it was. And then all of a sudden Donald Trump was that guy. And then kind of Chris Christie's, you know, whole shtick was just gone. It was like, well, what does he do? And then the Bridgegate thing comes out and he's just another politician who, you know, is, is a hypocrite and he, you know, his bark doesn't mean anything. So. When I look at, you know, Chris Christie, I think his career is over. I mean, I, not, not not something that you necessarily asked me, but I think obviously he did all he did to try to be the vice presidential candidate. And when Trump passed him over, I mean, I don't think he's going to win his governorship in New Jersey again. And I don't see any other path forward. Do you see him running as a candidate in 2020? I mean, I think his career, political career is over and and that's and, and it's funny because it's exactly what Donald Trump does. He, you know, uses you for as much as you, he can. Then he stiffs you, you know, when, when, the, when the bill comes. And, and that's kind of what happened with Christie. Christie, you know, Christie actually did some dirty work for him during the campaign. He he actually destroyed Rubio. If you remember that one debate where Chris Christie basically came and took Rubio under, oh, yes. out to the woodshed and basically was like, you don't do anything. You're just a little boy. You're not even a man. I mean, I, he didn't say that exactly, but I mean, it. 
could translate into that. And after that, Rubio was kind of on the rocks. And obviously we know where he is obviously now. And so, you know, he did a lot of dirty work for Trump and he kind of maybe thought at the end of the day, he would, you know, have a, you know, a spot with Trump and Trump did what he always does. He was like, oh, well, you know what? You're not necessarily the best guy. And even though you did that me a favor, I'm going to go with Mike Pence. So I think Chris Christie, he's, he's the biggest loser he, needs to, he, needs, he actually needs to go on that show, too, you know, but he is the biggest loser because his path in politics is done. He is finished. He is finished. He he did mention that, too. He said he's already suffered by not getting picked uh, as VP because of this whole Bridgegate thing. Ah, tough luck. That's always FUBU. Uh, a story that we a story that we've brought to you two other times on Political Entertainment was this 9-11 bill. I don't feel like I have to go over it with you guys. You you should if you listen to the show, you know what it is. Uh, basically, it passed con- Congress. It passed earlier, but Obama vetoed it, and so they overrode his veto. It passed like 97 to one in the Senate, overwhelmingly in the House, and so it's the first veto override of Barack Obama's presidency. And to me, Frank, I'll let you speak on it, but to me, man, it's just. As I said in the past episode, it's just completely symbolic. It sounds good. Does anybody really think these people are going to get any money out of Saudi Arabia? And even if they do, again, remember, it opens us up to be sued by countries. And as you know, if you've lived in this country for any amount of time, you know we're usually engaged in a war or two. So it's going to be easy for us to be sued as well. I'll let you get your thoughts on that. I mean, it's just the most incredibly stupid bill I've ever heard of to think that you can sue a foreign government for a terrorist attack. Uh, You know, my thought is, let's just say we thought Saudi Arabia was the one who perpetrated the attack. Let's just say they did do that as as a as a government, as you know, as we we would if we if they were an enemy of the state, we would just go to war with them. We wouldn't sue them. Right. Exactly. So, So my thing is, you're saying that rogue members of any government who engage in any uh terroristic activity or other dangerous activity that results in loss of life or other catastrophic damage can be sued. And then I say, well, what about all the people that are being killed by with with United U.S. weapons, you know, foreign, you know, Al Qaeda, other things that have, you know, weapons from our government and they're killing people. Can those governments, can those families come and sue the United States because they're the manufacturers of said weapons that killed their family? I mean, yeah, let's see. Let's see that go through. I mean, you'd have so many lawsuits. They they never, you know, be able to get through all of them. So I don't understand the you know, it's, it's, it's another thing that America has very. Um, too much, too much arrogance, and I, you know, I'm and I'm all for pride and country and those kind of things. But you have to have a, a view of the world and how you fit in it. And you know, wars are messy, uh, and all those things. Terrorism is is a bad thing, most certainly. But if you look at anything that's happened violently, the United States has a hand in it, probably in some form or fashion, just because we have a way our interests. You know, we, we, we make sure that our interests are protected and we do that through force many times. And a lot of times innocent people are hurt. So if all, every time we're making a move in the name of country and somebody innocent, you know, gets hurt, are we now saying we're liable for that? Huh. I, just, I just can't imagine. But that's kind of what this bill uh, is, is, is implying. But now, obviously, the Republicans are backpedaling uh, faster um, than Deion Sanders in his prime. And it's kind of funny because 
their quote is Mitch McConnell says the president didn't warn us of the ramifications of this such a bill. Well, if they just listened to Politically Entertaining, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or Google Play, they would have known those ramifications because we talked about this about two or, two or three months ago when this bill was first brought up. So, shame on you, uh, GOP, for not listening to the show and learning the ramifications ahead of time. Uh, and also, it's not on Obama, so whatever bad comes out of this bill, it, you know, he vetoed it. They overrode him, so it's not on him. Um, they can twerk in the streets while getting it done in corporate America. Let's talk to the ladies of Wind Down. Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. Joining us today on Politically Entertaining, these ladies really need no introduction. Uh, the ladies of the Wind Down, Aunt B and EP, have joined the show. Um, it's great to have you ladies on. I know, Erica, it was great having you on a few months back when we first were getting started. Aunt B, I know you hadn't been on yet, so I just want to welcome you guys to the show uh, before we get started. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for having me back on. And with due diligence, I'll make sure you don't have to edit any vulgarities. <laughs> you know, that, that's, a, that's a good thing. But you actually upped my skill level because I was like, wow, I'm going to have to take some of these words out because that's not what, you know, we do. But I told, <laughs> but, but, you, but, you, but but that's funny that you say that because I want to start right there. You know, you guys have such a, a free-flowing show and you guys are t have great personalities on there. And I know when you came on our show the first time, Erica, you said, you know, Byron asked a question. He said, hey, uh, you know, what, do you, what is your favorite show? And you, you made a comment. You said, oh, well, Jerry, the last one we do. I just want to ask both you ladies, do you think that every show you do, is you're getting better? Or at this point that you've done so many shows, you feel like, oh, we have a favorite episode. This is like, you know, our favorite episode. Uh, I don't think it's I don't think um, that – I think we are getting better. I do have a couple of favorite episodes. I think sometimes, um, you know, I'll, I'll favor one more than the other. So for me, it's not that each last episode is my favorite one. I love all the episodes that we do, though. Like, I, I genuinely like the wind down. I love to listen back to it. I listen to it um, as a listener. When we finish recording, before I edit, I, I take myself out of it, and I try to listen to it as if I was just a listener, and um, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Well, for me, um, I actually love all the shows. Um, Andy offers really engaging, insightful, and humorous commentary on a wide variety of topics. And so I'm able to feed off her energy. And then when we have guests on the show, it's just we never know what to expect, yet we're able to keep the vibe and the tempo of the show organic um, and authentic. And so, you know, I think we've created a really dope dynamic, a really dope formula. And as a listener myself, um, I, I think we're quite entertaining and we live up to our position of, you know, sophisticated ignorance. You know, we're both educated. Um, we both um, have a duality where we can twerk in the streets and then go do our thing in corporate America. And I think just that flavor consistently um, makes every show like the favorite show. 
That, that's awesome. Uh, the sophisticated ignorance part always makes me smile when I listen to your intro. I, I love you guys' intro. Speaking of your show, I know you guys are on iTunes. How else can listeners find you? Are you just on iTunes, or what other platforms are you guys on? Uh, we're also on SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, um, and TuneIn Radio as well. Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome. So definitely, uh, you know, if you haven't heard these late, late young ladies before, definitely check them out on those different platforms. It's an amazing show. It's- yes, and I also want to add though, um, add us on Instagram. We're on Instagram. We are the Wind Down. It's W I N E the Wind Down two five one on Instagram. So yeah, we post our new episodes there as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. So here's here's something that actually came up today in my news feed, and I, I want to discuss with you ladies. And we know a certain pop star is having a baby. Uh, I think we all know who that is. She's a little bit hey, older. Janet. She's a little bit older than we are. I know that you know in one of your she's a posts, lot older. She's a lot older than me. <laughs> I, I, I know that in one of your posts, Erica, you said you you specifically said that you were somewhat in favor of a late pregnancy and Aunt B, uh, I've also gotten word that you were not in favor of a late pregnancy. So, so just, I guess you guys, give me your take on the whole Janet Jackson pregnancy and what do you think that just that means for the Jackson legacy? I mean, what what do you think the child's going to be like and just overall the whole situation? Well, as you say, he is continuing a legacy, not only for the Jackson family, but now he has you know, secure his heirdom um, to that billion-dollar family family that he's coming out of. I think it's absolutely awesome that Janet Jackson was able to marry and then procreate and, you know, seemingly find that American dream. And sometimes it's not always, you know, as a teenager, 20-something or 30-something or 40-something, your old woman, um, but delayed does not mean denied. And so I'm ecstatic for her. I'm happy for her. Um, you know, she picked up a lot of weight, and that is, I'm sure, a concern of hers, but uh, hopefully she's able to get her fit body. She definitely has enough money to take care of that post-pregnancy, um, but I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Get it, mama. Um <laughs> I mean, of course, I want Janet to have a healthy baby. I want everybody to have healthy babies. Um, but I just, I, I'm not down with the um, grandma having babies. Like, you know, slow down, pump your brakes early on. <laughs> Go ahead and, <laughs> and pop the baby wow. out, you know, earlier instead of waiting until you're 60 years old. Like, it just doesn't seem fair to the kid that you're 12 and your mom's 87, 90 years old. I mean, come on, Janet. Like, for what? <laughs> She's fifty years old. <laughs> I mean, with all due respect, when, she, when she's twelve, then will be sixty-two. So I mean, that's the A B math. Don't do me. <laughs> Don't do me. <laughs> but you know, we talked about her on our show, and um, EP compare her to Sarah from the Bible. You know, she called her our modern-day Sarah, which I thought was funny, but, you know, I brought up the fact that, you know, their life expectancies were much, you know, they they died older than what we do now. So, you know, Sarah could have been like 600 when she died. If she had a baby at 300, that's like 
comparable to teenage pregnancy right now. <laughs> or it's comparable to a 50-year-old Janet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't know. Modern-day Sarah. I mean, I, 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 I want to add this. I just think it's interesting that she felt the need to, I guess, have a baby at, you know, I think, I think we've seen women have babies at 40 and we don't even blink. But do you think that her having this baby at 50 will prompt other women to try to have babies at 50 or fit or even older? I'm sure a lot of women have tried to have babies at that age. They probably just didn't have enough money to make it happen. However, her status and wealth, um, her, her class has afforded her the opportunity to secure the doctors, the medications, you know, whatever it is that needed to go rework her womb and make it valuable for her to carry a baby and then bring it to pass. Um, as far as other women emulating that, I'm sure there will. It's a lot more women who are waiting later to have children. You know, they get their education, establish their careers, um, they may or may not find a man within um, that period that they're doing so. And so once they slow down and look up and realize, hey, I'm by myself, maybe I need to position myself for a husband and then a child, um, then it may come a little later in life. And so I do think we will see more women um, attempting and then being more successful at, you know, procreating at later stages and ages in life. That's very interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I just want to see how it develops. I mean, it's just such an interesting – that family always fascinated me just with their whole, you know, obviously everything with Michael, LaToya, and just now seeing this. It just, to me, adds to the saga of what the Jackson family family is. I want to, I want to jump to something a little different. And, um, you know, obviously – I'm a huge sports fan. I believe you guys are sports fans as well. And, you know, one of the things that we see and we hear about in college football all the time, we hear about it being an amateur sport and, you know, college football players, you know, they're there for an education and it's not really a business and you hear all this and that. But we all know that college football brings in millions and millions of dollars, especially in the SEC. And with that as the backdrop, obviously we know that Les Miles was dismissed from LSU this week. Now, obviously he was a very successful head coach. He had, um, you know, won a national championship some some years ago, of course, but he had fallen on hard times recently. I just want to know your thought on the on the idea that, you know, colleges who pay these coaches all this money to go away and they say it's not a business. Well, what well, what exactly are they saying? What exactly are they showing when a guy less less miles as successful as he is gets fired just because he's having a hard time the last couple of seasons? Um, I think less miles pretty much got fired because um, LSU is looking at all the success that Nick Saban is having at Alabama. Um, if you remember, LSU introduced Nick Saban to the SEC. So, you know, everybody knows that the Alabama and Auburn rivalry is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, in all of college football. But LSU has to be somewhere in the cut. Like, damn, you know, every time Alabama is going – to the national championship or winning SEC championships, like they have to hate that a little bit more probably than your average Auburn fan because they had that guy. Like Auburn, I, I'm a graduate of Auburn University. We never had Nick Saban. We never had anything close to Nick Saban and what he's doing at Bama. But LSU actually had Nick Saban. So it's like you're in a relationship and you 
let that good guy get away, and then you see what he's doing for the next chick. So it's like, even if you're in a relationship hmm. with a good dude, it's like, he ain't that guy. You know, I had that guy. Look, he just bought an old girl a BMW. Your dude might have bought you a Honda Accord. But he just got her being the, I had the BMW guy. I had that guy. I let him go. You know, I don't care how good your new dude is doing. He's not doing as good as the guy you had. So I think that is what what Les Miles suffered from. Like at any other university, he still will be the head coach right now. But every time Bama's winning, every time they are expected to go back to the national championship, LS, that's making what Les Miles was doing at LSU seem worse and worse, basically. Every loss seemed magnified. And so um, I also wanted to add, <laughs> Les Miles got fired after he lost to Auburn last weekend. And as an alum, that just really is very disheartening that we have become the hell nah of college football, that <laughs> if, your coach is on, if your coach is on thin ice, a loss to Auburn, it just made him break straight through the ice. You know what I mean? Like, oh, hell no, nah, he got to go, you know? I'm like, at what point did Auburn become, you know, the special Olympic squad of the SEC? You know that losing to us is just unbearable, you know what I mean? That that breaks my heart more than anything. But uh, Les Miles is just suffering from the success of Nick Saban. LSU had Nick Saban. He left. He went to Miami. Alabama got him. And they want something close or something that can at least rival what Nick Saban has done over in Tuscaloosa. And that's what listen that's why Les Miles ultimately is gone. So with that explanation, who does LSU go after? Who do you think that in this offseason they're gonna say, you know what, here's our Nick Saban clone that we're gonna the B or the BMW guy as you as you said, who is that person? I don't know what I call that's what we call <laughs> They're gonna resurrect their Bryant and they're going to <laughs> See if he can do a much better job in that position. We don't do we don't do Ouija boards on this show, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean whenever you lose to a team that could be, you know, eight miles peewee team, then what else are you going to do but try to resurrect one of the greatest? I think so. I, I really think I don't know who they're gonna go after, but I think <laughs> I know they're not going to try to resurrect anybody, <laughs> but I do think I do think that LSU will do what I wish. I always bring it back to Auburn, but I do think they're going to do what we fail to do when looking for head coaches, and that is take their time. Right now, um, Ed Orgeron is their interim head coach. I think they let Les Miles go, and I think they also let their offensive coordinator, uh, Cam Cameron, go. So I think what they're going to do is, really take their time with the rest of the games left in the season. Let um, Coach Orgeron go ahead and do whatever he's doing, and they're really, really going to look for somebody and make a very sound hire. Whenever we got rid of Gene Chizik uh, right before we hired Gus Malzahn, it seems like it happened so fast. Like even when we got rid of Tommy Tuberville and we hired Gene Chizik, it seemed like that happened so fast. We make the fastest, to me, um, hired, and and I'm like, for us to be in the shadows of Alabama, I wish that Auburn, when I say we, I wish that we would 
take our time and go out and really, really, really aggressively seek somebody who could take us to the next level. And I think that's what LSU is going to do. I don't think they're going to go. I think last year they were going after Jimbo Fisher. What they're going to do is really, really take their time and find a coach that they feel like is going to be that BMW guy. Hmm. That's cool. I mean, that's interesting. We'll we'll see how it plays out. It will be interesting. I I think one of the names you mentioned has come up again, Jimbo Fisher, as well as Bobby Petrino, uh, who you know it's amazing. And I just want to add this to the right. side, and I'm actually going to get into this later. But it's amazing how a man, Bobby Petrino, with what he did, how he left the Atlanta Falcons in a lurch, and how he uh, left Arkansas with the situation he had where he was having an affair with a with a young student right. aide or whatever. And now he is, you know, doing his thing in the ACC. Everybody's, you know, sweating Louisville. If Louisville does well this year, Bobby Petrino was in the catbird seat to get back to an SEC school, a better SEC school than when he left because we all know that Arkansas right. ain't LSU. Okay, Arkansas is cool, but LSU is better. Like, if you're going to get one of those top – SEC jobs, there's Alabama and LSU are at the top of that list. So I think it's amazing how this guy just worms his way back into glory. You know, it's amazing. Well, that seems to happen a lot in sports. It just seems like all is forgotten sometimes um, when you have those situations like that. I mean, until you just mentioned, I had forgot all about him in Arkansas with the – was she working in the athletic department or something like That's that? That's right. She she he, he she got, like, this job kind of erroneously. And, right. And, he, you know, it was just all – it was all, you know, as to quote Diddy from that song, it's, it was all effed up, basically. Like, when yeah. you pull back the cover, it was like, ooh, this is a uh, – this is quite shady. And she and like was engaged, said, which was even worse. And he was married too, but I mean, it was just right. all around bad look. So, getting to something a little more serious, and this is something we've actually talked about a little bit on our show, and we actually want to bring more light to it, um, is you know the, the Michael Moore. Um, obviously, the situation there in in Mobile is is not getting a lot of attention, and I think that it's something that. Because of other things that have nationally, it may not get the attention. But just can do you know just right now the current situation and the current climate of what's going on, and and is there any demonstration or anything going on uh, in Mobile or any movement going on in Mobile to try to bring about an indictment or put some pressure on the the Mobile Police Department to basically well, give an a fair a fair investigation. Well, right now the investigation is in the hands of the Department of Justice. Um, and so they are looking through um, everything that happened, and, you know, as is their practice, they'll render their decision, and that is what will stand. And they generally like to wait until, um, you know, things have calmed down. Um, the cultural climate is a lot more tepid, and the decision they render won't create um, this this community uprising. Um, as we all know, um, a news agency reported recently um, the me- medical records, um, exactly, you know, how he passed um, the shot that um, killed him. But what was interesting in the report is when and where the gun was found. Um, it is alleged that Officer Hurst, who committed the murder of Mike Moore, um, actually shot him um, because he felt threatened when um, Michael brandished a gun. Um, however, that weapon ended up recovered at the hospital. 
And so a lot of people are speculating as to how that could possibly happen. Um, how can you find, how can you transport a body, put it on a stretcher, um, get it to the hospital, only to discover later that there is a gun still on um, that person. Now, we don't know how um, FBI or Department of Justice will um, respond to everything or what they'll find or what they'll render in the case, but I do know 90 days after um, Michael was killed, um, there was a, a, a protest rally, and it started at um, the park and went to um, the police headquarters. And it was family and supporters, a diverse group. It wasn't only African Americans or black citizens. There were also um, white citizens who um, are compassionate and compelled to to support um, that cause. So right now, it's you know it's with the people who will say whether or not a crime was committed by the police um, if Michael's civil rights were violated. But what's really interesting is there were two other people in the car with Michael when he was pulled over, and everything has been silent from those two. And so, um, you know, there's speculation as, you know, what kind of deals they would cut or, um, you know, why why they are less silent now than they were um, months ago. Um, but, you know, we want to be hopeful that justice um, will be served. And I know that his mother, she doesn't want a penny. She's not asking for any financial retribution. She just wants um, Officer Hurst, um, you know, brought before the court in a conviction. So that's pretty telling that there's no other motive in pursuing justice in her case other than making sure that her son was not violently killed in vain. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's something that's definitely, you know, with all everything going on, we don't want to ever overlook what's going on in, you know, in our hometown. I know we cover a lot of different things on our show with a lot of other shootings, and you have guys like obviously Terrence Crutcher and, uh, you know, Keith Scott, not to diminish that, but certainly uh, this young man, we, we certainly want to get him justice. And I'm glad to know that there is still movement going on with it because, you know, sometimes it feels like the news carries a certain story for a while. And then it's kind of like, okay, that was a story just to kind of, you know, get click rates or get people to watch, but there's not real interest in the outcome of, 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 you know, justice for the victims and their families. Right. It's interesting that you mentioned movement because I think people forget even with the civil rights movement, that happened, you know, over a span of time. That wasn't just one solid event. That just wasn't the Montgomery bus boycott and then the march on Washington. That was, you know, over a decade of um, activity working and pushing towards change. And I think the movement that we're in as a nation um, is the same way from the, the killing of Trayvon Martin and then Michael Brown and Eric Garner and Samir Weiss and Sandra Bland, all this is happening at, over a span of time. And so historically, we'll look back and say, okay, these were the touch points that really kept this thing going. And big up to um, Black Lives Matter for making sure things stay in the forefront and making sure that, you know, there is a um, collective brand um, attached to these issues of 
um, violence against American citizens by um, law enforcement. I mean, I think I think that's great that you said that. And you know what's amazing about what you said is that that's exactly what's wrong with the world now is that everybody, especially what's funny is when you hear certain people who have criticized, say, Colin Kaepernick, they have done exactly what you said. They have turned the civil rights movement into Martin Luther King uh, marching down, you know, marching on Washington or marching down, you know, Edmund Pettus Bridge. And that's it. That's that's how black people got their, their all their rights. That's how it all happened. And I think that, you know, there, ha- you know, it's amazing how we've glossed that over. And, 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 and I'm just glad that it is coming back. I'm glad that, you know, we, we're, we're using our platforms to actually share, you know, th- you know, cause this, this affects all of us. I think that people don't, people think, oh, just cause it's not happening to you right now, it doesn't affect you. But I'm, right. I'm just glad to see that um, young African-Americans and, and all, and young Americans just in general, because I think yep. that, we need to also understand that, you know, sometimes one of the things I will say as African-Americans, we also have to watch our rhetoric towards would-be allies who might be turned off just by yes. what we're saying. Every, every you know, white person is not the same. You know, right. there, there are people that genuinely feel and bleed the same, you know, way that we do when we see these things happen. So, you know, it's it's going to take an understanding and, and commitment from, from all parties and all sides to get this done. And like I said, I, I'm, I'm happy with what I'm seeing um, from, from, you know, guys like at, these, these athletes who are becoming now conscious again. It was amazing to live through the, the era of like Michael Jordan and, and these guys, not just Michael Jordan. He's, he's obviously one of the guys who's an example, but there was a whole generation of athletes who just, they just didn't get involved. They were just like, oh, I'm doing right. my thing, you know, like, right. and it was mm-hmm. like, everybody thought the world was all good. And, it's, and that's why the world is so shocked now because they're like what is wrong we we went 25 30 years without hearing anything we thought everything was all good and you know it's just it's just good but i mean like i said we could be on this all night but i just want to move to the my last topic which is is kind of interesting because i know you guys probably watched it you guys watch the first debate um i'm going to answer that first before y'all get deep off (laughs) deep off into that (laughs) Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I did not I did not watch the debate. Um I have my mind made up on who I am going to vote for. I saw a meme or something on um social media and I thought it was the most hilarious thing and it said that, you know, trying to decide who you want to vote for um, between Trump and Clinton is like trying to pick which S T D you want. Like, uh you know, like which <laughs> Which one do you want is both bad, you know? Um, I will vote for um, Hillary Clinton, but so I, I, my mind's already made up. I don't think, I mean, it's just nothing for me to see in the debate. That I'm not going to change my mind. I'm just not even here for the entertainment aspect of it. Um, well, you know, it's it's you, always seemed like a clown show to me from both of them. You know what? Yeah. Let, let's, let, let me stop. I'm going to get Erica's thoughts on the debate, but let me stop you right there. So you, you didn't watch it. You said something very interesting. You said... You know, I've seen that meme as well about the STD. Why is it that you think, and many other people think this way too, that Hillary is is just as bad as Donald Trump in general? I mean, I understand the optics of some of the things she's done, but realistically, if you look at what she's done, uh, you know, she's done some bad things. She got some things. She definitely, you know, we we all talked about the crime bill, super predators, and some other things. The emails, Benghazi. But she is through and through a politician, whereas Donald Trump, 
if you base it on what are the qualifications for president, he seems to have none of them. Yet we have equated them both the same. What do you think is the cause for that? Um, I definitely, I definitely know that she has um, experience, political experience. Uh, like you said, I just wish we had somebody else. Like I just wish we had two other candidates. Like for no other reason than just wishing we had two more people to choose from. Um, I won't. I I don't think she's as bad as Donald Trump. No. Like I don't think that. I I'm fearful for our country if he is our commander in chief. Like that really scares me. You know. And I and I don't. I don't think that you know we would be in. I well I know I know for a fact we wouldn't be in that same position with her. But just overall, like, I just wish we had two other candidates. I wish I was going to the ballots in November and just picking between two totally different people. Let me ask you this. Would you, would you, like, based on, so let's just go back and say who the Democrats had that were kind of, you know, their runners, front runners. There was Bernie Sanders. Would Bernie Sanders make you happier? Would Joe Biden make you happier? Would Martin O'Malley make you happier? Or you're just not happy with the, the people that were even part of the process at all? I actually was pulling for Bernie Sanders. I wish that um, he was the guy, and I, I definitely and I don't I don't understand. And maybe when the two of you um, converse about it more, and I'll sit here and listen. Maybe you can help me understand how we even got to this place where Trump is the repu- uh, Republican nominee. Is that what you call him? Not yes, he's he's mm-hmm. a Republican nominee. Yep. <laughs> Is that what it is? That's how that's a political term and everything that I do it right. You got yeah. it. You get in there. Good job. Uh, <laughs> I just want to know how we got a red to run. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I run brown as well. <laughs> oh my goodness. But, yeah, how did we get to this place? Like, you know, I'm looking at everything, and I've been looking at it from the moment he said that he was going to run. I always thought, oh, you never make it this far. You never make it this far, and he's made it this far. And how did this happen? I think the Republican pool was so um, divided going in. They had a lot of people vying for the position, and – Trump kind of snuck in there. Like, people really didn't think that he would make it this far. And because he was a little hoofy that could, um, <laughs> he, he showed himself approved primarily by appealing to a lot of Americans' worst sensibilities. You know, he has this thing that he does, this, um, this law and order dog whistle, to where whatever he says that he's automatically appealing to Americans who believe that police um, are here to protect and serve the end, where we, as African Americans, that's not our historic disposition. Um, For us, you know, we have been more likely to um, experience law enforcement as agents to deny our rights. Um, You know, the criminal justice system refused to protect us during slavery. Um, They refused to protect us during racist mobs, and so lynchings were prevalent. Um, And they even, you know, refused to protect us from racists, and now they're refusing to protect us from um, rogue law enforcement officers. And so when Donald Trump was able to, um, you know, use key phrases like law and order, he did appeal to a lot more um, American sensibilities 
um, that that convey hate or racism or division. When he talked about building the bridge or the wall um, to prevent Mexicans from coming to America to work, you know, that appealed to a certain type of sensibility. And I think we didn't know until he really got in the game that it was that many people who were riding for those type of principles. So whereas everybody else was upstanding, you know, the other Republican candidates, you might not like their platforms or you may disagree with some of their values. Right. Um, it was so many of, let me see, it was so many more people who supported the BS that Trump was on mm-hmm. um, early on in the campaign, and he was just able to ride it out. And I said with her, uh, well, just just like uh, EP just said, you know, whether you agree with some of the other platforms or not, like, how do we get to the point? Like, I, I can clearly just remember, you know, um, you, you may have had candidates or whatever that you may not agree with um, their platforms, as she just said, but no one just came out and said just blatantly um, tacky things like he does. Like, how when did our presidential um, nominees get to the point where they can just be the way that he is and say the things that he says. Like he's not politically. I think that's what, that that speaks to privilege, though. That's a certain level of white privilege that you know I would say um, others aren't afforded. And we have to understand his public persona has always been brash and always has been um, you know politically incorrect. And so. Um, I think another advantage that he has had is he's been leveraging media for years from his publicity in um, the media to him having the Apprentice show. Um, that kind of afforded him a level of popularity and likability, and people saw those traits when he ran for president or when running for president and decided they're going to ride with him because they feel like they know him. They feel like he's just going to tell it like it is. He's the nun politician a lot of white americans no longer want a political leader they want somebody that's going to get it done and ride for you know regardless right or wrong is how i feel we don't have to be practical right just ride for them and trump is doing that for them you know i think that's very interesting that you that you guys and you guys are very savvy i'm kind of i'm kind of glad you guys are on are not on political (laughs) commentary because i don't want i don't want that kind of competition you guys are pretty good so you know (laughs) I just want to say a couple things is, you know, it's amazing that, that, you know, you guys said all that because it was like, that's exactly what happened with Trump. There were 17 Republican candidates when it started, obviously including Trump. So the other 16 guys, as you said, they were just kind of doing whatever. And one of the things I read about Trump is he's, he has a very high floor. He doesn't have a necessarily a high ceiling. Like he's always in like, say this 40 some percent range, but he was able to be, he had his constituents, whoever they were. And what's frightening about Trump is he has reignited what they are now calling the alt-right movement, which basically is racism and fringe, you know, bigotry and all these other things. He has reignited the white nationalist part of uh, the right that was probably somewhat dormant because even though, you know, we would always, you know, as as, as certainly as African-Americans looking at the Republican Party saying they use definitely use dog whistle tactics and they probably still have that state's right thing. They wouldn't necessarily come out and say it. As you mentioned, Donald Trump has come out now and he has basically inflamed um, that that rhetoric and he has gotten David Dukes and his his crew back up, you know, excited about life. And they're all out there with their swastikas and their skinheads and their, you know, blackface painted and they're and they're ready to roll. And so 
I think where we got here is anger that from 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 I believe parts of white America um, that feel like minorities have infringed upon their God given yeah. uh, say yeah. how you say manifest destiny to this country when yeah. they are failing to understand that everything goes in cycles and that you know. Just because you were on top 250 years ago doesn't mean that you'll always be the majority and the most powerful, you know. You know, we, obviously African-Americans haven't, we don't, we haven't been able to increase our necessary population here through a lot, for a lot of different reasons. But certainly the Hispanic population has, has, has had a huge impact. And by yep. 2030, 2040, white people will be in the minority for the first time. So there, there, there are some of them that are feeling that pressure that, oh man, I could be on the end that is, you know, uh, somewhat discriminated against, uh, you know, and there and, and Donald Trump is their last dying fight and uh, of just basically overt, you know, like, hey, we want our country back. We're tired of, you know, Obama. We're tired of this. I mean, realistically, I've seen a lot of conservatives say, well, you know, the the country, this, the country, that. And I'm like, the country is doing pretty well. Now, there are some issues which I could get into, which we don't have time for, but Overall, if you take the country where it was eight years ago and take where it is now, I think people would prefer where it is currently. So it's just a very interesting how people look at, at the world. But, I, you know, I just feel like at the end of the day, we have to get out there and, you know, make our voices heard in local elections, especially because what you're going to see that, that we haven't really talked about on our show, but I'm glad we're talking about right now is – See, Trump is emboldening not just he's running for president and that's cool and he may not win. I don't think he's going to win, but he's in, he's he's emboldening people at other levels to start running like, oh, I could be, you know, the all right movement is back. It's being ignited at all levels. Right. So we yeah. have to be wary and be voting, you know, and not just say, OK, I'm not going to vote. It doesn't matter. Like, I think Jesse Williams has a very important um, he had a, he had just had a PSA that came out about voting. And he was like, don't tell me you're not voting because he's like, that tells me you don't care about your life. You don't care about who your DA is. You don't care about who your police chief is, all these different things. And I think that what we have to be very careful of is just because Hillary wins doesn't mean that Hillary wins. Like that doesn't really mean anything. Right. Because if 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 the alt right is now getting back into local politics, it doesn't matter right. if Donald Trump wins. You see what I'm saying? Like the, the, we, we, we've all I've always felt that the worst thing has already happened. Donald Trump getting this far is already the worst thing that has already happened. Him being the president would just be the culmination of the biggest cluster. It, it's just like I said, just just I want everybody to be aware of that and just be like, hey, we got to get out there and vote and know who you're voting for. Just don't check the box just to do it. Like understand who your officials are and just important we do that. Yeah, all politics are local. All politics are local. So, so you were asking about the actual debate, though. Yeah, I mean, whatever you have on that, I mean, I, th- I feel like we really covered a lot of good stuff that was actually probably better than the de- than the debate. But go ahead and uh, throw whatever in you want to uh, talk about about that. Um, well, I think Hillary, and I have not been a Hillary. Clinton fans per se, but she did display some professionalism, expertise, and she was actually likable. Um, historically, that has been one of the things that, you know, have turned people out. Like, how can you really like her? She's not 
you know, they see a female, but she's not nurturing. She doesn't seem warm. She doesn't seem caring. She seems like she's been having to maneuver in a room full of men for the past 30 years, and so she's taken on a hardened disposition. Um, but you did see a softer side to her, especially when juxtaposed against Trump, who was ill-prepared, who was flagrant. Um, for anyone to admit that they don't pay their taxes and to be smug about it is actually one of the most unpatriotic things you can do on that level of platform, especially when others have been incarcerated. You had Daryl Strawberry, Lauren Hill, Jabu, Fat Joe, Richard Pryor, Wesley all Snipes. incarcerated. Wesley Snipes incarcerated for tax evasion, which is what it's called. So for him to actually say it's a smart thing to get out of paying your federal taxes, um, that was very much unpatriotic, un-American, and unpresidential. Um, you know, we mentioned his law and order dog whistle, but what was so sad about that and a missed opportunity for, to me, um, Hillary could have pounced him on his whole Central Park 5 handling. You know, he's basically calling on law and order and, you know, upholding the unconstitutional stop and frisk practices um, at the same time when we know stop and frisk practices are unconstitutional, highly illegal, um, but the Central Park Five would have been a great point since those African-American males were unjustly incarcerated, wrongly incarcerated. So are you saying we just want to exercise law and order and incarcerate people who aren't even guilty of crimes? That was problematic um, for me, but he was appealing again to his base. And so, you know, when I say he was flagrant, they started talking about cyber security. And this man had audacity to <laughs> to make comment about, oh, they make like, what, 400-pound people sitting in their living rooms or at their beds, like, initiating these attacks. First of all, what does weight have to do with anything? You know what I'm saying? It just it shows that he is smug and um, he doesn't care about all people. He only cares about those people that fit in his world. And, you know, it's those pretty people, those attractive people, those people that may have money, and that's his world. And so um, Trump, I don't think he benefited himself um, in this presidential debate. I actually think he made it quite clear to um, all Americans with real good sense that he doesn't have that temperament. He doesn't have that skill set, and he just don't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. And that's, I mean, caring is one of the least, the, the assault skills. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to be a brainiac to care, but that man don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he, he, def, he definitely does that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, all I can say is people just, you know, hopefully people will go out and exercise their right uh, first, first, you know, Tuesday in November and see what happens. Um, I'm going to get you ladies out of here. Um, I just want to say I I can't believe how good you guys were on that whole Trump thing. I mean, I'm, I'm so impressed with that because, you know, coming into this, you know, I, I was getting some rumors that, you know, some of you didn't want to really talk politics. And then all of a sudden I'm hearing all this. I'm hearing all Wait this, a minute, hold up. I'm like, whoa, I'm hearing some, okay, all right. So, you know. Wait a minute, you're talking about me. I mean, I don't know, I'm just ta- I'm just talking in general. We're just having a conversation. But uh, you can you can find these ladies 
on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, they're the Wind Down. They're also on Instagram at the Wind Down 251. Check them out there. They've got a lot of great things to say. So entertaining, so fun, so full of energy, and and not just full of energy, but full of great knowledge. Because I think sometimes we get caught up in like, okay, what's funny, what's hype, and it makes you laugh. But these ladies really make you think. And I think that's what's important. That's what's missing from a lot of the, the things we listen to now. It's like if it's not making you think, you may not need to listen to it. But this show is definitely what you need in your life if you're not listening. So, again, the wind down on iTunes, um, Stitcher, Google Play, also on Instagram, the wind down 251. Uh, ladies, thank you for uh, being being our, our guests on the show. Again, hopefully we'll have you on soon, maybe after the election. Uh, get your thoughts on maybe what transpired. Well, thank you for having us, and I want Mobile to know that they can join us um, on election night. We will be hosting um, an event at Kazula to go through um, the results and hey. to buy with everybody who's with it. Um, so definitely come out and, and join us. Let's have a dialogue in real time on site. Kazula, that's November 2nd, November 8th, election night. Yes. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure for me to be able to join Politically Entertaining. I listen to you guys also, and um, I feel very educated from the things that you guys talk about. Again, I'm not as versed um, on politics as EP. I, I really stay away from a lot of it. Quit lying. <laughs> and I deliberately stay away from sports. <laughs> See the balance? We have like a good balance going. But I really, uh, thanks for having me. I know y'all need to be um, discussing Derrick Rose real soon on Politically Entertaining. We want that Derrick Rose commentary real quick, real soon. Yes, we're going to leave that. We're going to end right there. And again, (laughs) check these ladies out on the wind down. Ladies, again, thank you for joining us. Uh, We'll see you guys again soon. Thank you very much, love. First off, man, let me just say uh, you did a great job, man. Uh, I want to remind everyone that The Wind Down is available on SoundCloud. It's also on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, Podcasts. And you can follow them on Instagram at The Wind Down 251. Remember, that's W-I-N-E, The Wind Down 251 on Instagram. Uh, I was not available for the interview, Frank, but what I do like about these two ladies is that they're very comfortable and very confident. They're they're the kind of comfortable that, you know, they come over your house. Uh, Erica, she grabs the remote and, and, and turns to whatever she wants to. And Aunt B, she goes straight to your refrigerator and grabs whatever she wants out of there. That's how comfortable they are in any setting. Very confident women. And uh, I think Aunt B kind of short sells herself on uh, not knowing or politics i think she just doesn't really like politics but i follow her on social media she's very smart very witty and she actually does know quite a bit about politics so i always find it funny when she you know says that she doesn't because she really does uh but i just wanted to ask you what out of that interview will stick with you the most with those two ladies i mean because we are a political show i think that the biggest thing was that political savvy that they have. And I made a joke and I was somewhat serious and somewhat joking that, you know, I'm glad that they're not doing a political show as well because, you know, they look better than we do. 
and you know there would be more competition and they you know they have more of you know different topics they cover but they certainly are very savvy um and, and i think it was really cool that they're also having a vote party that she mentioned um I can't remember the restaurant's name at this moment, but I, I think that they are active locally, you know, in, in Mobile. And I think that's the most important thing about, you know, politics and is being involved locally. I think that obviously we talk about voting for the presidency, but knowing what's going on in your community and being part of that is, is what really counts. And I think they have a lot of that as well as the entertainment factor, sophisticated ignorance, as they put it. But uh, I was most impressed by just their knowledge of, everything that's been going on politically as well as the you know united states in the in the world view as well i just want to thank them again for coming on to our show uh you guys made it very entertaining so ep and b thank you for that i uh as i stated was at a cigar event a herbert hoover reveal cigar event near the white house i just want to send a shout out to rosario smirty who is a supporter of the show uh Rosario Smirty invited me to that. Had a great time. Thank you for that. Uh, visit Quit Bitching Coalition. He has a, a nice clothing line going on there. And real quick, Frank, it was a, a very interesting week for him because the president held a town hall on CNN last week. And one of his, I guess you could say, models or whatever of his clothing brand asked the uh, president a question. He uh, he lost like his leg and and I think one of his legs in, in war in Afghanistan. And so the president knows him by first name. He's visited him in Walter Reed several times. So that was pretty cool. Some good pub for his company. He's a big supporter of the show. So, again, thank you, Smirty, for the invite. I enjoy myself. I do hate I miss you, ladies. Uh, but we know you. We know we'll have you back, and I'll be around. And finally, I want to thank the listeners again. Me and Frank, we do this for you. This is it's fun for us. I mean, we have real nine to five jobs, but we do this in our spare time for you guys. And like I say, the biggest compliment is when people say I now get my news from you. I can't take the CNN and the MSNBCs anymore. So me and Frank, we really appreciate that. And I'll let you take us out, man. Again, thank you, listeners. Want to encourage you to make sure you're registered to vote. It's not too late, probably, but it's getting to that point. Make sure you uh, have all your registration information. Make sure you have everything you need when you go to your polling place. Make sure you know where your polling place is, especially if you moved recently. Uh, just make sure you have all that together. Make sure you know who's on the ballot and just, you know, definitely vote. Uh, again, we just like to thank you. Catch us on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher or Google Play. Uh, again, tell five friends, tell 10 friends. We want more people to listen to the show and, and just get more involved in their communities and the political process. And we'll see you guys soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.